0: There's a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a mad case loving you. Doctor,
1: doctor, doctor,
0: doctor, doctor, and doctor.
1: It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar.
0: I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in.
1: All right, boys and girls, time for advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Batar. He's not in the car tonight, so uh, we got all the attention that we desire from you, Dr. Batar. unless you're distracted.
0: <laughs> I'm always distracted, Robert. I had
1: short attention spans, not just for millennials anymore, but Dr. Batar was leading the way a long time ago anyway we're glad to be with you and i'm glad you're with me today as we move into the era era of the microbiome. We should say that because so much of of doctors and science you know going into the very home for the microbiome or the microbiome itself and impacting on manifestation of any number of diseases which in our Mind in our experience doesn't preclude negating concepts of heavy metal toxicity, environmental degradation, etc. But all of that impacting the terrain, which impacts what grows there, which impacts the health of the host or the, you know, whatever it is where they say, here's your disease, give you that name. They won't go back to the origin story, the origin point, the real starting point of the diseases. That's what advanced medicine does.
0: You're, yep, you're right, Robert. That is what advanced medicine does. So the the story that you wanted to cover was to do with the microbiome, correct?
1: Yeah, there's a, a really interesting story here, and we're getting more and more of them. It's hard to keep up with all of them. But it talks about the use of penicillin, even just once in a low dose, affecting the gut microbiome and contributing to brain inflammation and changes in behavior of the children. So we're talking about women who are pregnant getting that or maybe even a dose to a child once where you think, oh, it's just innocent, it's just one dose. I've often said over the years that even one dose of an antibiotic, if not corrected right away, could set you up for a lifelong series of so-called diagnoses or problems.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the use of uh, steroids Uh, with antibiotics is one thing that I'm extremely averse to. The use of steroids, I'm averse to. The use of antibiotics, in specific circumstances, I'm not averse to, but it's very, very rare that I will uh, recommend that somebody use an antibiotic. Um, So to bring the point home, I think that if you're going to end up using an antibiotic, there has to be, a specific reason that where the benefits outweigh the risk, that would be something like meningococcinia or Mm -hmm. uh, some type of, you know, like sepsis. Um, And I know there are other ways of doing it. I've actually personally uh, done something, this was almost 15 years ago, where I used silver Mm -hmm. and uh, ozone, and I had a patient that was septic, and the patient had a white count of 22,000, was, not aware of where she was, didn't know, you know, basically the family brought her into the clinic and they didn't want to go to the hospital. She had been a patient in the past. I said, go ahead and bring her in. We got um, some blood work. There had been blood work done that had been done two days before, but it had not come to us. It was from a different doctor's office. So we asked to have that blood work, uh, you know, sent to us, but it hadn't been reported yet. So they said they would report to us as soon as they could, they would get it. Mm -hmm. By the time I evaluated the patient, she didn't know where she was, she didn't know. Um, she thought the year was like 1976. She thought that Nixon was the president. Um, so she was definitely not alert and oriented to, you know, time, president, place. She knew that she knew who she was, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously altered mental status. She had a high fever. By that time, the lab called in with a panic value. The white blood cell count was 22,000. And I actually gave her an IV. So I said, she has to go to the hospital. You know, she's septic. She could die from this. Called the hospital, but while I was calling the hospital, I ordered um, uh, IV silver, our miss molecular ionic silver solution, and um, an ozone therapy uh, treatment, and also gave her a mineral loading dose. Well, by the time she was done with her IVs and as she got ready to go to the ER, she was now alert and oriented to time, place, everything. I mean, she she knew, you know, where she was. Mm -hmm. In fact, her daughter said, Mom, you didn't know who the president was. She said, Honey, of course I knew who the president was. And, you know, she said who the president was. Um, she, she, she needed everything and she got to the hospital and they did repeated the white count. And I think the white count was like 17,000. So it was still up there, but you know, mm-hmm. that was just from what we did, but not sure. You can't always get that type of uh, intervention um, unless you have access to uh, yeah. physicians with those type of modalities available. So I'm, I think that antibiotics have a place, but I think mm-hmm. it's very, very, I mean, the, the way we use antibiotics, like their M&M's. No, yeah. I mean, no, so
1: Dr. Batar, based on, you know, that one experience, I mean, that would, in a normal scientific inquiry scenario, you'd be going, wow, that is so intriguing. Let's conduct a study, right? Somebody would propose it, get a research grant, do it. But, of course, it wouldn't result in a patented pharmaceutical petrochemical drug. So, again, who's going to invest in that? to find out that, indeed, we have found a way, even in the most severe circumstances, where we could use, just for those examples that you mentioned, silver and ozone, and I've talked about silver and oxygen having a great ability to work well with one another, and they also both have an opportunity and and properties that neutralize these so-called bacterial infections so that we could, if really medicine was invested in real science and inquiry, it would ask questions that might not come out with profitable answers to the pharmaceutical industrial complex but again advanced medicine is different because it's not beholden to those you know conflicts of interest it's really trying to say hey what's most important here is healing how do we facilitate the wellness the recovery of the patient that comes to us for help and we could validate this and there are as you know physicians utilizing these things we talk off label all the time but in a way that is non-toxic actually helping them that should be investigated, and that we could make moves beyond the trap that is antibiotics for everything. Like you said, the M M&M and version.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the indiscriminate use of antibiotics is a massive problem in our society. It has promoted to promoted a drug resistance. You know, basically bacteria that are resistant to the type of uh, interventions that we have. Uh, obviously, methyl, methyl resistant staph aureus is a perfect example of that. Um, it's promoted other types of uh, drug resistance as well, and then when you really need a big gun, you don't have it because everything's mutated and adapted to whatever we're using right now, and that creates a problem. So I, there've been ER journals uh, 20 years ago that were talking about how 75 to 80 percent of everything that presents in the emergency room, uh, you know, from the, like the rhinitis, the runny noses, and the upper respiratory infections and the colds, most. Doctors, most ER doctors are prescribing um, the use of uh, antibiotics, and these are viral conditions. And right, the right. problem is, if you, use, if you use an antibiotic for a viral condition, then not only are you then you're seriously throwing off the balance, you're throwing off the microbiome, because now you've got a viral infection. The bacteria helps to um, helps to basically balance right the, the virus, so it doesn't make it the virus become as virulent. And now you're suppressing the bacteria, and then that Mm -hmm. causes opportunistic uh, other infections like the the yeast issues to rise up. It it causes the original issue. Um, The bacteria gets suppressed. The good bacteria gets suppressed, then allows Mm -hmm. the virus to become more virulent, and then allows for other non-beneficial pathogenic type bacteria to sprout up. So it creates a mass havoc. And so for the vast majority, 90%, 95%, maybe even 98% of all infections that are treated with antibiotics, they should not be... You
1: may not have needed it at all, yeah. Dr. Bachar let me throw this, throw this out at you, uh, because as, as I think about the... Re, you know, people say, well, I know it was viral, but when I got the antibiotic, I felt so much better. Now, I posit that the microflora that's still there, the bacterial species that are still there, the symptoms that you get in infection are not necessarily because of the bacteria, because in many cases, as you point out, some of these bacteria are known to battle, do battle with those that you call pathogenic bacteria, that it completely suppresses the immune response. And of course, without the immune response, you don't have the symptoms. The symptoms are what they call the disease, but the symptoms are actually the body working its, you know, what off to get over whatever the insult or assault actually is.
0: Yeah, I, this is um, this is something that I think we could really talk a lot about, Robert, because the first thing is, Sometimes people get better, and it's the placebo effect, right? So you get a pill, and the thought process that the individual goes through is, "Oh, I've gotten some type of treatment, and now I'm going to get better." And of course, in their mind, they are getting better because they're getting some kind of treatment. It doesn't matter that they may nothing be nothing in there except for maybe you know a sugar pill or just the saline, whatever whatever it's in there. There's nothing that's both benefiting their their infection. But the placebo effect is something that's extremely powerful. I've used it many times uh, in patients. Uh, when I was in the ER, I used it actually when I was in a general surgery resident. And you and I have talked about some of those stories. I think placebo is something that we in medicine should be harnessing more of, because there is a tremendous benefit. We know that a placebo does not cause any harm. That's the that's the first part. And the second part, if the if the placebo works, and you know, wh- where does the placebo get its power from? The placebo gets its power from because of our system. So if we believe that something's getting better and we can induce that without causing any type of harm, then we should be utilizing it. That's a side note. Next Mm -hmm. is that the the placebo effect is probably giving them enough of a benefit that it uh, creates a cascade of events. So the person feels better, increases your testosterone, your endorphins, all all these different good-feeling hormones, you finally feel resolution, there's less stress, adrenals aren't firing as much, you've kind of got the body kind of pauses, it's like a sigh of relief, I've got some treatment going on. And then the body starts to get into that mode of healing anyway, because the body is a self-programmed healing, you know, a machine. We know that, mm-hmm. right? That's why we said the power to heal is yours, because it truly is. There. Everybody's. That's that's our inherent power that God mm-hmm. gave us. <clears throat> so, so the first is the placebo. <clears throat> Second is the belief system. Third is just getting a pause, getting that relaxation, getting that, getting that. Um, um, adrenal burst, you kind of just kind of come down a little bit, right? And, and then when you add those things in, a person's getting a tremendous benefit from there. The other aspect is that sometimes the back when you take that antibiotic and a person says, "Hey, I feel like I'm getting better," what what's actually happening is that they're creating a cascade of events where the bacterial counts, whatever bacterial counts that they've got, you know, there's mucus in the. Uh, they gear up, that when when they take the, the antibiotics, they never take the antibiotic by itself. It's a decongestant or antihistamine, or they're taking time off, an associated benefit of bringing the temperature down. Not that that's a yeah. beneficial thing, but the person feels
1: no, better. No, they feel better. That, that was my point. We're up on a break, Dr. Bittar. Hold on there. Also, they talked about increasing levels of aggression in the offspring of parent moms in particular who were on antibiotics during pregnancy among other inflammatory cascades we'll be right back
0: the robert scott bell show in all my years of radio i've never seen anything like this the robert scott bell show
1: Robert, Scott Bell, Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We have hundreds, if not over a thousand hours, I don't know how many it reaches to now, of advanced medicine shows that we've done together, Dr. Batar. and they were available at medicalrewind.com. Now you can go to advancedmedicine.com. Of course, for anybody around the world, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, UK Health Radio in Great Britain, as well as uh, YouTube. Now that we simulcast there and... Uh, Dr. Batara often simulcasts through uh, Facebook Live and other things. Is there any other uh, method that you're videotaping out to the world that we need to let let them know about if they want to catch it later?
0: I know. The only thing we're really doing is uh, YouTube. Um, the videos we're going to be filming on Facebook that so we're live streaming, just like you're doing on YouTube, but we're going to break those down, Robert, into certain segments. So mm-hmm. They can be searchable by topic. and uh, Excellent. there. We've started working on that now, so that's not quite ready to go yet, but it, it will start soon. But as far as live stream, it's only going to be a Facebook right
1: now. All right, very good. Well, there's an article here, and even in the new media, what we call alternative media or Media 2.0, got to wonder about the headlines. They're sensational. People want to drive you. There's clickbait. There's a headline here called Trump warns flu shots are the greatest scam in medical history. Now, I don't know if he actually said it, but we do have some audio from a uh, radio show back in 2015 before he was. I don't know if he was running for president yet, but give a listen to this and see what you think about the practicality of the man. Whether you like his politics or not, just listen to what he says here as he's uh, inquiring. They inquire about the flu shot and uh, before he was President Trump.
0: Donald, do you get the flu shot every year? No. No. Why? Oh, I don't know. I've never had one. And thus far, I've never had the flu. Uh, I don't like the idea of injecting bad stuff into your body, which is basically what they do. And I guess this one has not been very effective to start off with, but the last one. But I've never had a flu shot, and I've never had the flu. I better knock on wood.
1: So, uh, Dr. Batara, say what you will. I know that people uh, are you know, deranged and uh, h- haters of Trump, but as they step back from that, And you got to realize this guy is smart. He's pragmatic. He observes. And and you might disagree with what he does, but he has observed that the flu shot, not a good idea. And that makes him smarter than just about every other Democrat. I'm sorry, I just said it. Yes, I did. Did
0: you say smarter than all other Democrats? Are you comparing him to Democrats? I,
1: I did, because, you know, think about the presidential candidates that were running. There was no Democrat that would say the flu shot is not a good idea. And right, right then, right there puts Trump above them in terms of intelligence. I just, I just said it. I did.
0: Well, Robert, I think that the first thing that you have to remember is that the science, the premise of science, the purest form of science, I believe, according to Socrates, or maybe it was Plato, I can't remember. I think it was Socrates, said mm-hmm. that observation is where science starts. Right, science. Right. Is the purest right. form of uh, the observation is the purest form of science. So. Trump has made an observation. You know, I don't know whether we can grade uh, levels of intelligence from that or not. But <laughs> I will tell you this: I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, right there's, there's a leap in a there's, there's a leap that we can make. But yes. um, you and I both know. Uh, you've actually asked me to talk about that story that I've talked about in the past when. You know, when I uh, when I was in the military, number about the flu shot. So right. you, myself and Trump, at least the three of us are in yes. complete agreement that the flu shot is absolute pure garbage.
1: Right. And, right. Um, and, and the interview continued. Let's give a listen before the break here where it went from here. Wisdom, water. How, how is it that you've never had the flu with all the business
0: you've done over the years? You're always shaking hands. That's I know. How you get I, sick. I am. I am shaking hands, and I just don't understand it myself. But I, I have friends that religiously get the flu shot, and then they get the flu. You know that helps my thinking because I say, "Why am I doing this?"
1: And then I've seen a lot of reports that the last flu shot is virtually totally ineffective. There you go. Observation. You know, he's more scientific than the Democrats who will scream and yell, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer, get your flu shot. Don't pay any attention to what he said there, Dr. Batar.
0: Yeah. Robert, sometimes you're so funny because you're, you're making this into a Republican-Democrat issue. And, I, you know, I mean, that's just amusing to me. Um, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know, I kind of get involved with reading a lot of this stuff, but yes. I think the masters the same they, they're controlling whether it's republicans or democrats who knows whether i'm right or no no I, you sorry. are you
1: are correct you are correct now trump's a bit of a wild card as we said not many candidates would come out and speak out against vaccines the way he has so it leaves me some room to say you know he's not totally controlled one last say one last uh clip here let's hear I know how you're going to get the flu. You're a healthy guy, and I bet when those flu germs show up, you go, you're fired. <laughs>
0: I fired them immediately.
1: immediately. There it is. A little bit of uh, humor there as well. And I'm just tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek folks about the liberal Democrat and the conservative Republican. There's a lot in the Hegelian dialectic that it plays everybody. We're not trying to fall prey to it. But we got hum- We got to have fun with this because a lot of people are taking uh, the wrong things too seriously. Dr. Batar is here with Advanced Medicine each and every week, and we are going to go into the subject of autism. Other environmental factors? Yeah, we'll discuss them. Go to Robert also advancedmedicine.com. Become part of the IADFW. We'll tell you how.
0: What kind of radio show is this?
1: The Robert Scott Bell Show. through the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show check out the show notes for all the articles we're discussing if you want to learn more about why we see things the way we do read them come back with questions or comments we'd love to hear from you uh when time permits we'll do that and of course because we do now youtube uh simulcast as well as uh, dr bittar on facebook and other things we could sometimes talk to you through the breaks as well And uh, remember, we've also announced upcoming events. I've got a lecture the 29th of November in Tampa. For all of y'all, no, Dr. Batar's not going to be there, so it'll be okay. It'll just be me, but I'd love to see you there at Abby's Health and Nutrition, November 29th. That's a a Thursday evening. Uh, Dr. Batar mentioned the Advanced Medicine Seminar, a two-day event in uh, Pasadena, California, in May. What was that date? May what? 20-something?
0: May 25th. In May 26th. you can go to advancedmedicineconference.com to register. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert, I'm actually speaking on January 5th at, uh, in Los Angeles, also at the uh, yoga. Yoga. Hospital. right. Yeah. So, um, folks was, here to see the preview. there. Yeah, I'm the I'm the only doctor there that's speaking, which is interesting, and and I haven't done yoga and probably. Fifteen years, I probably couldn't even do it right now. But they yeah, <laughs> they're not going to make you on, do uh,
1: a yoga position while you're lecturing, then, right?
0: Uh, hopefully not. But I may have to start <laughs> practicing right now. Just so yeah, and maybe maybe hold a position
1: for get a little flexible, just in case they call you out. Like that's ah, not a yoga guy. Yeah. Listen, the message you're delivering is is certainly in line with those that want to be. Healthier, well, and empowered, and I think that's the basis for that yoga expo. So that'll be cool. So get a sneak preview, go see Doctor Batar there, and Super Don will make sure those links go out uh, in the show notes as well as uh, through social media. Now, uh, moving into the next phase of discussion here, we come back to that autism topic, and then you know, of course, those of your longtime listeners know Doctor Batar's story with his son, written about also in. The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, international best-selling book, available even today in many languages. Now, there's more and more information coming out, even though they're often looking in the wrong place for what causes autism. It doesn't mean that by looking in the wrong place they can't learn something, right? They find contributing factors, more uh, acknowledgement of the environment, the microbiome we talk about. This study, however, links the autism spectrum risk to mothers who had chronic respiratory ailments and inflammation during pregnancy. This almost kind of piggybacks off of that antibiotics during pregnancy, how it impacts negatively on the next generation, Dr.
0: Bittar. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So, Robert, I have not reviewed that study. No surprise to you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but but, but can, you, can you say that again so that it's based upon inflammation? Is that what you said?
1: Yes. Clinical trials have now shown an association between autism spectrum disorder and maternal immune activation. They call it, you know, this inflammation response during pregnancy, maybe an infection that happened. You know, they're not saying whether or not they used antibiotics in this. But I think, you know, regardless, they're saying that this immune response and this inflammatory cascade during pregnancy, they're showing an association with risk for autism in that baby.
0: You know, it's amazing to me that they do all these studies and they look at all these correlations, but the most obvious one, it's like worrying about a thimble of water that's going to spill on your carpet when you've got a massive hole in your ceiling that's the size of the entire roof and you've got a typhoon coming down on you. You know what I mean? It, it's, mm-hmm. it just defies logic. Why are you worried about, I mean, is there, is there a contribution, that inflammatory cascade um, due to an immune response in a pregnant field? female that it has a fetus that she's carrying in utero, that it could contribute to uh, a cascade of events that could then contribute to a neurological deficit? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Anything that mm-hmm. happens to the mother can contribute to a neurological deficit uh, of, a, of a fetus. You know, there's no doubt about that, during, especially during that um, developmental stage of that, that nine months and you know, the second, tri- third trimesters, are, are especially the third trimester, is critical. Of course, if the first and second trimesters things aren't done right, then you're going to have other issues where the, the brain won't even start to begin, begin to develop correctly. But my point is, why not talk about the poison that we know is the only poison that causes denudation of the neurofibros? There's only one thing that causes that denudation of the neurofibros, and that's mercury. And we're injecting that in there. Let's look at the CDC data that was released in the NHANES study back in 2002 that showed that one out of six women of childbearing age in the United States is mercury toxic. And then the um, American Academy of Pediatrics put out the data that one out of six children being born in the United States has some type of a neurological deficit. There's a correlation between one in six and mothers and one in six children that have a neurological deficit, one in six mothers uh, being mercury toxic. So my point is very simple. They're talking about this casket. Is there a contribution based upon what they're talking about with this inflammatory casket? I'm sure there probably is. Mm-hmm. But is it the problem that causes the autism? No, it's not. It's not. That inflammatory cascade on top of the mercury that's causing the denudation of the near fibers will increase mm-hmm. and exacerbate the condition. Yes. But is it the spark that caused the fire to burn down no. the forest? No. The answer well, is no. What, we, no.
1: what I bring up here in this study, like I said, we're pro-science. And it's like, fine that you learned this. And it's not that we're disputing the findings. But as you point out, you know, is your, how much more is your risk to be injected with mercury and the resulting neurological damage that happens. You know, whether you had that exposure during pregnancy or not. Now, here's another story. This is all coming back to the law of the terrain. Another study, and I, th- I think it's a bit of a deflection and a distraction from what, you've, what you're what you talking about, because they don't want to acknowledge the direct mercury issue. Does air pollution raise autism risk? So it was a study out of Australia, I believe, or a Canadian study, that talked about nitric oxide, a pollutant, in the air, exposure and the risk of autism manifestation by the age of five. And they once again said, another increasing risk for autism. But it is, as you said, not the the big hole in the roof that they apparently can't get funding to do because it would point to what? Iatrogenic causes, modern medicine, injections, vaccination, which is sacrosanct, which is their Uh, basic uh, sacrament in the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism. So, as good as these studies may indeed be, to me, they are ultimately a distraction and deflection from the real issue.
0: Well, you know, you talked about the air quality, and then, of course, they bring out the nitrous oxide aspect. Well, air quality is an issue, and it's not an issue because of the nitrous oxide. It's because of the mercury vapor from combustion of fossil fuels. You see this in cars, you know, mercury, lead, and cadmium. Very big issue with the amount of exhaust beams that are are basically being put out, coal-burning furnaces, the industrial plants, the amount of mercury vapor that's being released. And so can that create a problem and contribute to autism? Absolutely. Mercury is the cause of autism. We've treated over 3,000 cases now in over 20, whatever, 22 years um, uh, of my practice. And our protocol, we've reversed. We've reversed the vast majority of those 3,000 cases, probably over 2,100, 2,200. Uh, because as long as we get them before the age of seven, you know, we've almost got a 99%, I, I don't want to say 100% because I'm sure there's mm-hmm. some that haven't, but 99% of the kids that we get before the age of seven, they're fine. And then between seven to you know, 12 or 13, it's probably somewhere around 50, 60% of those kids And today in your typical. And then above mm-hmm. that, it's... Really goes down, but the point is, if we can get those kids beforehand, we have gotten we have gotten before they turn seven. We have gotten incredible results. And what have we done? We've just taken off the mercury. Yeah, we've done other things with the guts and this and that, but that's not the primary treatment. The primary treatment is get the mercury out and then rectify all the all the damage that the mercury mm-hmm. caused, which includes right. their immune system because there's a supp- immune suppression from the mercury. Get their uh, guts back in order because again, the mercury caused. Uh, suppression of the immune system, which then allows for opportunities to all these different things. But the, the meat and potatoes, the 99% you know, a- effect that we've gotten is from removal of the mercury. It's not from nitrous oxide. It's not from decreasing the immune response of the inflammatory cascade or whatever else you want to say. It's just getting a known neurotoxic substance out of the body. You yeah. Know, it- say, well, you know... <laughs> It's not the vaccines, or it's not the right. internal amalgam. Whatever it is, they've got mercury in their body. Get it out. Get it out.
1: Yeah. End of story. And, and, you know, one of the things here, we look at broad-spectrum activity. We talk about broad-spectrum antibiotics, things like that. Well, what is the most broad spectrum in terms of toxicity, toxins? What can do the most damage to any and all systems? You know, we've talked about mercury specifically. It's known to be the second most toxic metal known to man. But look at mercury no, 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 in Robert, terms Robert, Go ahead. Robert,
0: hold on, hold on. It's not the second most... Uh, damaging metal in the world it's the second most toxic substance known to man of course, i
1: stand corrected yes i said milk. it improperly but yeah the, and so I'm, I'm trying to drive the point home that you brought out of course you've seen it clinically time and again and people still struggle seemingly with that but i don't know why there's a struggle with it because if you look at the nitric oxide pollutants other things that the antibiotics that have been used yet yeah, all of them they, they say oh yeah it ticks up a percentage point of risk we're not denying that but what is the most Potent in terms of toxins that have this dramatic, tremendous, devastating impact to the brain and nervous system and any other system in the body. And you go, well, let's look at it. Mercury. How do you how do you not see that?
0: Robert, even the material safety data sheet from Eli Lilly that came out in nineteen ninety-one, the same year, I believe it was the same year that the National Vaccine Initiative said they're gonna stamp out childhood diseases. The material safety data sheet for Eli Lilly that produces thimerosal, ethyl mercury, as a preservative that's used in vaccines. The material safety data sheet said that thimerosal was a known neurotoxic substance known to cause severe neurological deficits, including, but not limited to, had a whole bunch of things, including mental retardation. And they're still using it. Yeah. This is from 27
1: years ago. Folks, yeah, there's dentistry as well. And this is why Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, as a physician of his day in the the late 18th century, uh, early 19th century, said, you know what? I can't stomach what doctors are doing. I am going to find some other way. And he developed homeopathic medicine. And they called him crazy. What about the real quacks, the using Quicksilver, right? Those are the dentists. Those are the doctors. Mercury was medicine back then. How is it still medicine in 2018 or a part of any medicine in 2018?
0: You're absolutely right, Robert. You know, this brings up something, Robert. I, I just start thinking about this. We've got a lot of footage from the Autism One conference. We've got a lot of interviews that we've done. We've got a lot of footage of Dr. Hooker. We've got our webinar that we, uh, you and I did because we didn't have enough time to do the workshop. And we decided not to release this information, but there's so much crucial information in there. I'm wondering how many people that are listening to us, if we made this available... If we got this, this all this footage—probably 15, 16, 17 hours of footage—edited down, it will probably end up being about, you know, 14 hours, 13 hours. I have no idea how many hours it'll be. Yeah. If we made this a program to educate parents to empower them with knowledge, how many people would be interested in that? Because if, if there's if there's enough interest in this, I'm going to get this thing done so people can at least have a resource to go to, and we'll put it in advance so people can actually. You know, go there and get, get the stuff so they can actually have something to look at and
1: get empowered from. All right. Well, we'll put it out there, folks. Uh, what do you think? You interested? Intrigued? If there's a way to do it, we we'll want to make it happen for you. We are invested in educating, informing, and empowering you with information that you can't get pretty much anywhere else. It's Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Back after this.
0: Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the uh, things? It's the Robert
1: Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, yeah. Your friends don't know what they're missing, but you know what your friends are missing if they're not tuning into the Robert Scott Bell Show. Two hours a day, six days a week, and at least the special hour each and every week at this time with Dr. Rashid Bittar. It's known as Advanced Medicine. You can go to advancedmedicine.com. You can sign up, become a member of the IADFW. Your invitation code here on the Robert Scott Bell Show is, uh, I don't even remember anymore. Super Don might know it. I think it's 1358. But it just escapes me. But go, you'll go dig it out. It's usually in the notes. I think that's
0: what it is, 1358.
1: Yeah. In the meantime, of course, uh, we've got uh, Modern Medicine is a Monopoly monopolizing your freedom to choose the kind of health care you want. But in this monopoly, many people have now used used the ER as their primary health care, right? The ER becomes a place where you're not dealing with traumatic injuries, things that are genuinely ER worthy, but everything. Now, the article in Forbes, Dr. Batari, and you have worked as an emergency room physician, so you know what goes on there. This article in Forbes talks about the concern that it's like a one-night stand. Not that you know it's not appropriate to use the ER for, for primary health care, but that there's no relationship being developed. You show up, the doctor's never seen you, you've never seen the doctor. But as I mentioned on the break, th- these relationships are not really all that great if you were in an ongoing relationship with a doctor that sees you for two or three minutes at a time and maybe interrupts you at 11 seconds, according to the peer-reviewed journals about this. So there's too many, in my argument, too many interveners in the sacred doctor-patient relationship for even that to be successful.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, Robert. I'll sometimes have my staff say that, you know, in the past where, oh, Dr. can you just, you know, talk to X person or Y person. They don't have an appointment. Uh, they're just in there to get an IV treatment or, or whatever they, you know, happen to be stopping by to pick up something and they just, just want to, a quick second. And those quick seconds end up being 30 minutes, 45 minutes for me. So I, I don't even really understand how a person can be evaluated in, in two minutes. That's one reason for the development of the AHEAD map, because mm-hmm. it takes 45 minutes or so to get all these questions, you know, to get all the information that you really need to be able to give a, a, a reasonable interpretation of what these different things may mean, but what the symptoms of the person experiencing may mean. But the beauty of the head map is that it converts that subjective, symptomatic-based SF-36 oriented type data into a numeric value that's now an objective value that you can now track to assess efficacy as well as to determine if the person's getting uh, efficacy of treatment as well as to track whether the person's getting better or worse. And that's the collection of that data takes 35 to 45 minutes to do. Now, as a provider, I can assess that information once I have it in front of me within two minutes. Yeah, but I can't collect that information in two minutes. And that's the thing. How can you collect the information that you need from the patient in two or three minutes to give them an in- piece of information or, or, or direction or advice or orient them in the right direction, at least? How can you do that if you mm-hmm. can't? It, if it takes two minutes to assess it? Leave alone well. how much time, 45 to, to, to determine what the issue is in the first place
1: you know if i may i think that's the brilliance of the ahead map we are not in a situation where we have enough advanced medicine kind of doctors out there you know you've spent a lot of years trying to train doctors but there are a few but it's it's not enough it won't be enough if, in a long time if ever as there are not enough homeopaths or naturopaths you know people that are genuinely in, invested in, in empowering people to heal because they go to the root cause they really go dig deep They don't have the time. The situation is different. So creating the AHEAD map, and folks, this is where you can go there, and you can fill all this out by going to the uh, advancedmedicine.com website and the IADFW we've talked about. But it provides that opportunity to get that information out there that you can, in fact, follow it, or you can work with a physician if you want to follow it and see genuine improvement, measurable marks, if you will, along the way. Again, uh, not to toot your horn there, Dr. Bittar, but brilliant, bloody brilliant, as we say.
0: Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, I'll tell you though the reason I did it. They say that desperation is the mother of all innovation. Mm-hmm. I did it because not not because I was trying to come up with something to to market. By the way, Head Map is free for everybody. You know that. Everybody knows that. Whether you're a provider yes. and your your healthcare provider, your doctor, you want to use it for your patient, it's free. And if you're a patient or a client or or, or somebody like that, it's free. And if you just want to use it yourself, it's free. So it it was designed really because I didn't have enough time to assess patients. Um, adequately, and so that's why it actually just kept them
1: evolving them. Right. Any more than we ever have enough time in any advanced medicine episode to cover everything we want to cover, but we always keep them wanting more, because there's always more to give, more to learn, more to teach. Dr. Bittar, my my friend, my brother, thank you for being with me to do this each and every week. Tell them what they need to know, because we got to go. I
0: appreciate being here with you, Robert. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The
1: Robert Scott Bell Scott Bell Show.